Prosopagnosia, the inability to recognize faces, occurs in up to 2% of the population. Most people struggle with it alone, unaware it even has a name. The stories in this podcast can be painful and hilarious. Join us for an exploration of the people, science, and realities of this condition. Maybe you have a hard time remembering faces. Come for the stories, stay for the coping techniques. Our guest today is Ruth Dixon. Uh, Ruth is one of the first people who reached out to me on Facebook, uh, agreeing to be interviewed for this podcast. And that was well over a year ago, and we're just reconnecting now. Um, I don't know much about Ruth, but I'm going to make two guesses. I believe that she is a diver of some sort and that she lives in the UK. Ruth Dixon, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Both of those things are true. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. So uh, whereabouts are you located and are you a diver for a living? Um, I'm I'm by the seaside. I'm in Scarborough in North Yorkshire, so so up on the northeast coast of the UK. And no, I am absolutely not a diver for a living. I learned how to do it a few years ago just for fun. Okay, so this is uh, like diving to see sea creatures? Yes. I you're not very um, Caribbean in your neck of the woods. It's a little bit chilly. You really need a dry suit to dive up here. But um, yeah. I, I either put a dive dry suit on or I go dive somewhere a little bit warmer. So I last visited the UK in 2018, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was 2018. My great-grandfather is a famous diver uh, known as William Walker the Diver. Wow. And he saved, he wore, this is, uh, you know, turn of the century, he wore the uh, oldie time diving bell, the big metal helmet. and oh, Terrifying. Uh, in suit. And he went under Winchester Cathedral, which was uh, falling apart at the time. It was um, built on a very uh, watery substructure. Mm-hmm. And the structure underneath was rotting out and falling apart. And giant cracks were forming in the side. And if you walked beside it, big chunks of uh, stone could fall on your head. So they got a diver to go underneath it. Amazing. Yeah. And so for, I think, a period of three or four years, maybe, every day, he wore that diving suit and replaced all of the support structures under the cathedral. Do you know that's a fairly unusual thing for a diver to be doing? That's pretty amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So if you ever get out to Winchester uh, and you walk towards the back, you'll see a little statue of of a diving helmet. And uh, that's what that's all about. Oh, that's amazing. I will go have a look at it. Now, it's interesting. I went there for the uh, 100th centennial of his death. And uh, they invited, you know, family members in from all over the world. And Mm -hmm. um, so I got to meet some extended family. um, And it didn't occur to me until after I left Hey, you know, there's a hereditary aspect to face blindness. And you didn't ask any of these people. Yeah, I've seen that in my own family. My my mother, um, you know, when I discovered face blindness, I called her one day and said, Mom, you know, I, I think I have this thing. And as I described it to her, she said, yeah, that's exactly how I go through life, too. So the whole time we had, you know, this was, I guess, in my late 30s, early 40s, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And she... Um, had it been experiencing it, but it never occurred to us to talk to each other about it or anyone really. 
but I did reach out to one of the researchers uh, for William Walker and asked him, hey, the uh, <laughs> strange question, but in all your studies of William Walker, the diver, did you ever come across someone saying he was terrible with faces? And he says, no, I, I mean, it may be true, but uh, you know, it wasn't noted. I, I guess it's one of those things that people just don't write down and, and nobody would think to ask that, would they? Right, right. So, so I found out because my daughter who was at university at the time, was having a conversation with one of her friends about being able to picture faces. And she also cannot picture faces. And neither of us had ever thought that this was odd because we thought that no one could do it. And and when her friends could do it and thought that, that her experience was slightly odd, she picked up the phone and we had a conversation about it. And strangely, I had, and I'm a psychologist, I had never thought about this in in relation to myself before I'd never really come across it because it's not an area that I work in so I feel slightly um slightly bemused that this this should be an area that I know about quite well but but I didn't what what uh, specialty of psychology do you focus on um, I'm a therapist. I work with people, um, you know, in, in their sort of everyday lives. At the, at the moment, I work in staff well-being. I've worked in mental health before. I've worked in physical health. Um, but, but yeah, so, so I'm a, a therapist and it had never really come up. When, in my first degree in the 1980s, it was not something that was really known about. Certainly, it wasn't taught on the course that I did. Yeah. So you discovered it, uh, tell me again, you discovered this uh, in speaking with your daughter, mm -hmm. the two of you compared notes and realized yes. that you both have this. Uh, well, but we both knew, we'd just known this for a long time, but neither of us had thought it was odd that we, that we couldn't picture each other's faces. Um, and, and we had just imagined that this was the experience that everyone had. So it wasn't until she had a conversation with some friends when they all said that they could picture what their mums looked like and and she couldn't. Um, so we thought about it and looked into it a little bit more and realised that, that this is something that the two of us share. Nobody else in the family as far as we know. So I'm thinking that possibly if there's a genetic link, and it looks like there is a genetic link, um, that it might have come from my dad. Um, because he died 15 years ago and it wasn't a conversation that we ever had. So possibly him, it's certainly not my mum. Oh, see, yeah, that would be uh, ideal if she's a super recognizer. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, just fairly average, I think. But, but she, she recognizes people and can picture, um, picture people in her head. Um, I have two other children. They both do it. So just me and my eldest. So the two of you uh, got together, compared notes, mm -hmm. started uh, Googling or, yes. you know, is, it was it was a Google search. And yeah. what led you to uh, something called face blindness, which you'd previously never heard of? Um, I spoke with a couple of people at work. Um, it's It happened that we had a student who was working with us at the time who was also face blind. Um, and she gave us a little bit of information and she was doing some, some work at York University, which is very close to where I live. 
And there's a, a study going on there. There are a few researchers who work there. So uh, after a while, I contacted them and said I would very much like to take part in their their studies. So went to have some testing done, and it confirmed what I already knew, that I am fairly flaceblind. A lot of people have it a lot worse than I do. I'm not really bad. Uh, you know, I do recognise myself in the mirror. I recognise my family and people that I know really well. I really struggle with acquaintances. Yeah. It's, it's a really difficult group for me. So you, um, you would never mistake any of your children if you were in Chicago and just walking down the street and one of them also happened to be in Chicago. Um, would you immediately recognize them? I, I may slightly mistake them if, if they were in a place that I wasn't expecting them. Yes, I possibly yeah. could. I remember when they were very small and, you know, when you wait for your kids when they come out of school and they, they pour out of the, the doors right. and they're all wearing the same uniform. So that took a moment sometimes to work out which small child in the same uniform was my small child in the same uniform. In therapy, um, do you have a lot of regular, um, I almost said guests, they're not guests, patients. patients. <laughs> do you have a lot of regular patients or is it the, the nature that you're, you know, moving to a company and helping lots of people and then moving to the next company? Um, I, both. I work for the NHS. So um, I have people that I've seen a good few times and I have people who, who come in and I have a, a a regular turnover of people who are new. So, so that's, that's a very, uh, people facing profession. It really is. I mean, I would imagine that that opens you up to some anxiety or, you know, do you, how often are you walking down the street and, you know, someone says, Oh, Ruth, Hey, it's, it's me. And you've just had, you know, 10 hour long sessions with them over the last some period of months, right? Yes. Yeah, it's it's can be really difficult. I for for various reasons and proso is not really one of them. I always have a conversation with people somewhere towards the start of therapy that says that I will never talk to somebody in the street unless they talk to me first because some people just don't want to acknowledge that this is their therapist. This is their psychologist yeah. walking down there. So I would never be the first person to start that conversation which is quite good um, because it might well be that that I bump into lots of my patients and I don't know you know I live in I live in quite a small town I don't bump into my patients no I must bump into my patients but <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had a patient come in and say hey uh, I saw you at the market uh, yesterday you remember that I haven't yet but I, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they would. I like this a lot. So, uh, you know, for anyone out there struggling with face blindness, therapy might be a good profession to go into. You, you have a professional cover for not acknowledging anyone on the street. <laughs> I do. So I perhaps have more, more excuse for not doing that with my patients than I would with, with my friends, for example. <laughs> 
But but yeah, so I, I will say to people that, that I won't acknowledge them. And then if, if they say hello to me, I will say hello back again. Um, yeah. but, but I was listening to one of your recordings of how you you asked the very broad questions about how you're doing, how are the family, tell me what's been happening. So so all of those really, really general questions that that I I become very good at doing to, to try and work out who it is that I'm talking to. How long ago did you uh, participate in the study? Uh, a couple of years, not very long ago. Okay, so fairly recently, mm-hmm. and fairly recently before then, you did the Google searches and yeah. discovered this yeah, was a may- thing? maybe a couple of years before that, so I've not known for very long. I always just thought I was hopeless with faces, and also I'm, that I'm really bad with directions, because they, they often go together, and I just thought I was, I just couldn't tell where I was. I have that as well. I mean, I hear... I've I've heard that as well that the the two are correlated. Mm-hmm. So we don't know if they're deeply correlated or if it's just by chance um, that they overlap. But I definitely am terrible with directions as well. Yeah. I have talked to some guests who are, are perfectly fine with directions. So it's not all face blind people. No, my daughter is really good with directions, but I can walk into a shop, come out, and not know which way I was walking down the street have genuinely no idea whatsoever. I live, I've, I've lived in the town that I live in for five years and I could still not tell you how to get to somewhere that's just a few streets away. I, I might be able to get there if I got in the car and drove. So, so clearly I have some kind of awareness of where I should turn, but I couldn't direct you there. Yeah, I, I learn... Uh, a path to a place mm-hmm. or a path to the places that I go. And I feel like uh, all I'm doing is looking for these short-term cues as I'm moving along that path. Mm-hmm. I, I sense like, oh, there's that tree. There's that, you know, orange mailbox. I'm going to be turning right here. But if I'd said to you, could you direct me to that place? Could you do that? No. So you could take me there, but you couldn't direct me there. Exactly. Yes, that's that's very much how I feel. I could I could get to places, but I'd really struggle to tell you how to get there. I feel like there aren't a lot of places um, in the world where you can go and get officially tested. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've I could do it there. You know, I live near Boston, and I know there's a you know a, a research community in the Boston area for face blindness. Um, I kind of don't see the point. Um, so I'm not, I'm just not doing it myself, but, uh, and I'm also quite mild, so it's not totally debilitating for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but could you take us through what that, uh, that research or testing was like? Well, you've done some of the testing online, Mm -hmm. I assume the, the, the various faces. It was, it was longer versions of that. So I went along to their lab. And I did various tests to do with faces which were completely blanked out so that they had no hair and they had no no cues of clothes or anything. It was just literally the face. And to look at them from different angles and then to remember which one of them, when you're given a choice of three, which ones you've seen. Um, and then there was a test which was around face-like objects to see if you could recognize them as well. So, you know, when we see, uh, you know, 
like a plug would be two eyes and a mouth um, that, 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 sorry, a, a UK plug would be an American plug wouldn't. Um, but, but, you know, the, the kind of objects that you would see around or that you, you might see something which is quite face-like in a tree trunk or something like that. There are, there are lots of things like that to check out to see whether that is anything to do with the problem. And I can see faces and remember faces in objects really easily. It's just, faces on people that I don't remember. That's interesting. I, um, I had a hobby for uh, a, a few years, uh, mnemonics. So these mm-hmm. are all sorts of brain tricks to memorize anything really, you know, a, a thousand digits of pie, for example, decks of shuffled cards that you look through once. Mm-hmm. And really the, they're just tricks. And I taught myself how to use them from reading some books and, and you can do it. But one of the um, the things they rely on for numbers in particular is um, you convert numbers through a series of techniques into crazy images. And you have a set of images for all the numbers from zero, zero to nine, nine. Um, mm-hmm. And they usually do it with a person image an action image and an object image. So they call it PAO. And so when I first set out to do this, I was failing miserably because, I mean, all the suggestions were, hey, for this number, use Albert Einstein. For this number, use uh, Donald Trump or whatever, you know, person. And I I just, I couldn't visualize them in my mind, uh, even to bring the number up. So um, after struggling and struggling and struggling, I realized, wait a minute. I could switch to cartoon characters and archetypes. So like a knight, for mm-hmm. example, is one of my numbers and it, it like, like a knight in shining, shining armor kind of knight. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and then lots and lots of car- cartoon characters. Um, are you able to recognize cartoon characters? Yes. When I see them, but again, I can't visualize them. So if, if you named a particular cartoon character, I would probably know who that was. I would probably be able to tell you certain things about it, but I can't get a really clear picture in my head. Interesting. That that my my visual imagery is basic. So it, it it's not that it doesn't exist at all, but when some people talk about being able to see images in in glorious technicolor, I have hazy hazy some things. So, so nothing that that's really crisp. For faces or for, for any kind of, for everything. everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's, um, that's a condition in itself. It um, is. Yeah. So, so it's, it's sort of, it's alongside aphantasia, but it's, I don't think it would be quite as severe as to be able to, to call it that. Hmm. So, you know, if we were to say, you know, can you picture an apple? Well, sort of i've got something which would be you know i could tell you lots of the characteristics of an apple i could tell you the the colors that an apple would probably be i could tell you the the texture that an apple might be if we cut into it have i got a really clear picture that i could say that just looks like an apple no you know what would be interesting here is uh, to get your take on uh, like from a therapist's point of view, um, what's happening here. So when I um, found out, as as you did later in life, you know, I mm-hmm. 
never would have heard of this as a kid, but I lived most of my life uh, with a kind of low level anxiety mm. in any social situation. And by the way, I am uh, an introvert. If you take the Myers-Briggs test, nobody believes that I'm this outgoing sales guy and flamboyant. And um, But I mean, the reality is, uh, you know, I lose energy in group settings. I don't know if that's directly related to how much machinery I have to keep running to tell people apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly my whole life, you know, once I identified that face blindness is a thing, I can look back and realize, wow, every single social interaction where I would be with a group of new people yes. uh, or people that I don't know very well, um, there's an extra layer of machinery that has to be running at all times. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, and, and you look around and no one else appears to have to use that kind of machinery or that energy. Yeah. And it's really hard work. Yeah. You know, that, that actually takes a lot of effort to be around that many people. If there's some kind of expectation that you will recognize them when you meet them again. So for me, if I, I'm going into a situation, you know, say I was going to uh, talk to a group of students about a topic. I'm never going to meet these students again. I have no expectation. I can walk into a room and do that. And that's fine. I can interact with those people. Don't feel anxious about it. Um, I, I can feel really happy about my interactions with them. If I know that they are my new group of students and that I'm going to meet them again in two days' time, and I should really recognize most of them and be able to put names to them, the anxiety levels go up so much because the expectation is there that they will they will think that it would be rude if I don't remember them. They, they might think that, that I'm being sort of really uncaring about that. So, so one of the things that I have learned to do which is so freeing, is just to tell them. Um, so the last group of students that I worked with, we, you know, we, you start off on the first day and everybody has a sticker with their name on. And, and I just said, can we all wear stickers, please? Because I won't recognize you. And if you take your sticker off, I won't know who you are. And this is why. And will you do that, please? And they all found it really amusing, very fascinating. And they all kept their stickers on. So it was a win. It was it was really helpful. So that's in a, a professional setting. Um, have you found yourself opening up to everyone you meet um, and bringing this out early on, or do you recognize more recognize? Okay, it it, it is a condition. I never knew it. You know, knew about it ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel better just knowing this possibility exists that I won't recognize the person and there's a reason why. Um, where are you with that now? I, I wouldn't particularly automatically choose to tell somebody, but I also wouldn't keep it quiet if I wanted to, to tell somebody that I would have difficulty recognizing them again. I would be really open with that. I have no problem with, with saying that's going to be an issue. I do find that people don't quite believe it. Mm. So either to say, oh, yes, I'm really bad with faces too, or somehow assume that they are going to be the one exception and that I will be really terrible with remembering everyone, but somehow I will remember them and then finding it being slightly offended when they aren't the person that I remember. 
So, you know, I love people who have blue hair or weird tattoos or, you know, something that makes them really distinctive because that's so easy. Is it true for you that um, that's not always required? So like for me, sometimes, and I can't predict when this will happen, but I'll meet someone who doesn't have an axe wound or purple hair. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's really nothing particularly uh, outstanding about them visually and they'll stick, you know, like maybe after two or three interactions where everyone else, it might take a dozen before I lock them in. Mostly it would take the, you know, kind of six, seven, eight times of meeting someone before I, I think I've got them. But yeah, occasionally somebody will just sit in my head and I and mm. I know who they are the second time I meet them, and then I'm always really pleased. And that feels slightly odd because it, it's an odd thing to say to somebody, "Hey, I know who you are," <laughs> because they will think, "Yeah, and um, doesn't everyone do that?" Yeah, yeah. I am very curious about how we're actually building up that recognition over. Uh, I guess I call them. What do I call them? Yeah, interactions mm-hmm. or touch points. So um, I find that, um, well, when I look, when I am on uh, web meetings now, we're in COVID mm. uh, still here uh, everywhere. And uh, so there's a lot of web meetings. And I find that people have stopped using their cameras in web meetings. Like that's, that was big at the beginning of the pandemic and then people got tired of it. And so mostly I'm staring at the profile image of whoever I'm talking to. Um, and I find that that's not perfect, but, uh, you know, it, if you had to wait different kinds of interactions that lead to, you know, capturing a person, um, you know, maybe you need 20, uh, you know, hard, long looks at their profile picture, mm-hmm. uh, while, and I find while you're talking to them, uh, versus it may take half or a quarter of that number in person, you know, interactions, and yeah. I wonder what's really happening there. Like, are we just simply building up um, an alternate profile based on, uh, you know, object recognition, objects on their face rather than their whole face? So, you know, you really, really hone in on that corner of a nose and and you've got that locked in for that person. And then that combined with red hair mm-hmm. and you have Ruth, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. Most of my interactions with people are also online at the moment. I do do some face-to-face, but but most of mine are online. I absolutely love that in the corner of everyone's screen is their name. Yeah. So that is just wonderful. And also, you know, starting a therapy session with someone, you know, that, that if I go into a virtual waiting room – I have a name on the screen, I click on the screen, and when I go in there, I can be 99% certain that the person that I'm meeting in that that's online therapy room is my patient, is the person that I'm expecting to see, and it's just so easy. And also, that, that it's, it's quite nice in that most people tend to, they tend to use the same room when when we meet for sessions so not only do i start to get some cues about that person's face but i actually recognize the room that they sit in and rooms are much easier than people 
Yes. So, you know, that that I would easily um, sort of tune into some of the pictures that are sitting behind you if we were to meet again, because I would notice those that those things that are sitting behind your head. So That's all art from my kids, by the way. It's fabulous. <laughs> I think one of the real motivations for this podcast, I mean, it's interesting just talking with other people and it's interesting you know, seeing the levels of severity and the impacts on life and trying to draw some conclusions about, um, you know, career paths and how those might have been impacted by mm -hmm. face blindness unknowingly. Um, have been able to find a lot of correlations, to be honest, there. No, because, I mean, you ended up going into sales and mm -hmm. who on earth would put somebody with face blindness into a sales job? You know, I, I go into psychology and, and the same kind of thing when you, you're constantly meeting a stream of people. Neither of those jobs would seem to make any sense, would they? And yet both of us have, I, I assume, been reasonably successful and managed to, to go through our everyday working life and make it work. Well, I, I think one of the big motivations was to let some to let others who are just finding out about face blindness. So I think this is quite common. The one theme that I hear over and over again is it's very late in life mm -hmm. that people happen to read an article. Usually it's a, it's an Oliver Sacks article in the New Yorker that someone forwarded to someone and mm -hmm. and they read it and said, "Aha, that's me. That that is exactly what's going on in my life." But before then, even though it's been on 60 minutes here in the US and I think in Australian, the Australian version too, um, you know, and it's certainly been in, you know, it, it's one of these perennial things that pops up as um, an interesting news article once every four or five years. Yeah. Um, so there is an opportunity, but it's not, it's just never entered the, the public zeitgeist, like, uh, I don't know, colorblindness or something else. And I'm surprised it hasn't hasn't become a little bit better known if the instance is supposed to be 2%. You know, that's, that's right. quite a number of people, isn't it, that have some degree of, of struggling to remember who people are. And, and, and yet it doesn't seem to be out there in, in the general knowledge. Yeah, one of my guests mentioned that uh, that's higher than the percentage or maybe about equal to the percentage of homosexuals in the population. Everyone knows someone that's gay, so you must know lots and lots of uh, people that are face blind, and either they don't know it yet, haven't acknowledged it yet, but if that 2% holds, it's an awful lot of people. And before you knew that face blindness was a thing, did you talk to the people about the fact that, that you would find it really difficult to remember them? Or did you just find ways of covering it up and just not talk to people when you hadn't even talked to your mum? Yeah, no, it was one of those. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, like I, cu I couldn't articulate it. You know, it was it was um, more like an incessant um, annoyance every time I had to go into public. Mm -hmm. That over time, I think builds up and you know led for me to a fair amount of anxiety and maybe depression even. You know, uh, because you know, gosh, I just can't do this, this thing. And, and I'm not even verbalizing that in my mm. mind, but it's a feeling, yes. right? There's this feeling Absolutely. that there's something wrong with you that you can't do that clearly everyone else around you can. That everybody else can do it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that maybe this is, you know, am I being really careless? Am I being lazy? You know, why can I not do this thing that everybody else seems to just do without thinking about? Mm. I mean, for for myself, when, you know, it started to become more noticeable because, you know, I grew up in a very small town and it's less noticeable Mm -hmm. because there was a smaller population of people to deal with. But when I moved to a bigger city, uh, you know, know, when I went to college, college was still also a very small college. So, you know, it was harder, but, you know, I managed. Mm -hmm. But then when I I moved to a, a pretty big city, Indianapolis, and yeah, it was impossible at that point. And, uh, you know, I still didn't have a name for it, but um, I think even my friends would, would recognize, oh, yeah, Waters doesn't know anybody. Uh, might have been one of the things they would say. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it. Um, I felt that it was just, uh, you know, a cross that I bore myself and that, uh, I, I mean, it never it never occurred to me that anyone else would would have that problem um and it's interesting because many guests i talk to will have the opposite uh thought their thought will be oh can can anyone remember faces i mean that that seems like an impossibility i was really clear i think i I noticed when i was 11 12 when i went to a bigger school and i remember one one particular day I was sent out of a classroom to go and pick up a book and the teacher I had to find was my form teacher who I saw twice a day but in a different classroom. I couldn't find the classroom in the same building that I was in and I couldn't recognize my teacher and I Mm. remember that that was that was quite shocking because before then I'd been in quite a little school and I knew all the teachers and I knew the rest of the pupils so that was that was something that that thinking back that was a really key moment which you know maybe somebody could have picked up on and nobody did including me yeah one of the things that um i i hope for listeners that are just discovering face blindness um i hope you have this sort of release or relief that uh that i've felt that i've you know other people that i've spoken with have also felt if you can put a name to it, realize that it's not just uh, some failing on your part. You know, f- for example, um, I thought that I was either stupid or possibly a sociopath. <laughs> and then that's why I couldn't remember other people's faces, right? Um, and so, you know, once you realize that, you know, that it is a condition, lots of people have it. Um, I just felt like this um, immediate relief. Mm-hmm. I felt like I could kind of push that away. It was almost as if this this layer of uh, anxiety could be scraped off and it hasn't come back. I think that's also uh, because I'm doing this podcast, so I'm you know fairly open about it. Um, not everyone needs to or, or, or should be as open about it. I'm not saying that everyone needs to run out and tell everyone they know, hey, I'm face blind. But, you know, I think... Um, just the knowledge that it exists is, you know, must be relieving for people with, and that, that anxiety that I was describing, you know, I have this sense and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, that there's a, there's a kind of pain that you can have if someone hits your hand with a sledgehammer, that's immediate, it's acute, mm-hmm. it's hor- it's horrific in the moment. But I think that uh, small pain over time might be worse in some ways. So if someone's, you know, just 
chipping away with a tack hammer on your finger bone. Uh, doesn't necessarily hurt uh, in the moment. Each hit doesn't hurt, but after ten years of that, um, you, yeah, you've you've got a, a, a actually a finger bone that can't be healed. Maybe. Um, how would you apply that idea to the brain? I think all of us must have been affected by growing up with this difference, and I think, like you, the sense of knowing that this was a thing was just so important and that's one of the reasons for coming on this and uh, this podcast and talking today and the fact that I will talk to people about it I'll quite happily tell my patients I'll talk to people at work about it I'll talk to my friends about it because it feels like to to tell people about difference is really important um so you know for whatever for whatever reason that is to to actually be able to connect with something that that you have which has made an impact on you and in your life as you're growing up now i'm sure that i was much more shy than i perhaps needed to be and and i don't i don't know because i can't go back and change those experiences but but yes yeah, certainly i would identify as an introvert but I think I have possibly avoided situations in my life that, that I might not avoid now. You know, I, I might be not avoiding them because I'm a bit older and I care less. You know, I, I am, uh, you know, much less bothered about what people think than I used to be. But part of that is, is that recognition of, well, this thing is going to happen when I'm going to meet people and find them very pleasant to be around and really enjoy their company. You know, go out to, you know, go to the bar, get a drink, come back in, and I won't know who I was talking to. It's a thing. It will happen. And I'm mindless. Yeah. I had a, a previous guest on uh, who was an aer- aerospace engineer. Um, I perceive he's a lot younger than me, but... Uh, he had just the the best approach to this and it naturally came to him. He's just got this personality that, uh, eh, okay. I don't, I don't recognize faces very well. It's no big deal. Why would that bother me? Right. I just live my life. If I don't recognize someone, it's not the end of the world. And I, I hope people can, uh, it's going to be difficult to fully embrace mm-hmm. that idea. But even if you embrace a little bit of it, I think, uh, yeah, it's really healthy. I think it's incredibly healthy. And I think if you're doing that with the knowledge that, that prosopagnosia is a thing and that you can quite happily say that to people, I think that's just really healthy to be able to say, this is me, this is what happens. You know, just say your name when we start the conversation. It'll all be good. I know lots of information about you. You know, I am really, really good at remembering facts about people. You know, there's this you know that's what I do it's my job so you know I would after a, a short conversation with you I'll remember all kinds of things that you said and who you're related to and who said what and what mattered and and how that that sort of built a picture of you and I won't remember your face yeah yeah what other um what kind of techniques do you use can you what can you think of uh, as you're walking around and everyday life do you 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 mentioned like uh my description of going into private eye mode where i'm asking lots of open-ended questions how do you navigate oh i do lots of that i do lots of the oh how are you how are the family you know sort of being sort of 
being very open and, uh, you know, I have also been known to be very standoffish. Yeah, I've, I've gone into situations and I put the don't talk to me face on. And some of mm. that is because I just don't feel safe in that particular circumstance. And I, so I will look like I don't want to be spoken to. And then people don't speak to me. So I've, you know, I've done that as well, probably more earlier in my life than I would tend to do it now. And, you know, there are some lovely techniques that, that I can use at work. You know, I can get a receptionist to call me and tell me that my patient is in the waiting room. So I know that they're there. So I know when I go in that the person who's sitting there is very likely to be the person who's sitting there waiting for me. Right. I have, you know, if I'm going into a waiting room, I will probably walk down the corridor with some notes in my hand, looking at the notes, and I will call the person's name without looking up. Because then that gives me the excuse for not having seen my patient in there. Interesting. And then when that person stands up, then I look up and greet that person because they must be the person who's come to see me. So, you know, and, and, and I've been doing this for years because I would hate, I would hate one of my patients to come see me and think that I was being really rude and dismissive because that would just be awful. You know, I would, I would really not want to seem like I hadn't remembered all kinds of things about them because I have. You know, I have lots of information about them. It's just the face. So as soon as I've got that person and, you know, sort of John has stood up, then then I know that that's John and we're okay. From that point, we're all good. Yeah, that and that is, uh, that could be particularly devastating for someone yeah. that's relying on you, yeah. you know, for mental health yeah. or improving mental health. Yeah, and obviously, once I have seen somebody a few times, then I do know them, and I can yeah. just look into a full waiting room and know which person that is. But it takes a few goes before I get there. That is really interesting. I'm trying to think now of other professions uh, where you get to, you know, come out with a clipboard <laughs> and call a name in an open waiting room, and then whoever stands up self-identifies as the person that you're meant to talk with. <laughs> Uh, I love it. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but um, usually there are some funny mishaps that we run into. Um, what can you think of in your history that was a particularly humorous mix-up or I call it a mistake? I, I, do you know, I don't know if I've had any particularly good ones to, to recall because I've been doing this for such a long time that, that my detective skills, as you would call them, are really pretty good. <laughs> I, I think, you know, the only thing that, that happens on a fairly regular basis is if I am with someone and we meet another person, I'm really unlikely to be able to introduce them. So people I know well will not expect me to introduce them to anyone and will actually do that for me. Yeah, you know that that will sort of say, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm this person," and and then the person that we've just met will introduce themselves. So so people I know well will do that very kindly around me. It's one of the best reasons to have a spouse, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a couple of months ago, um, I 
I, I'm thinking back to, you know, you, you saying, hey, you feel so good when you when you actually do recognize someone and you want to jump for joy. Oh, it's, it's fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> I had an experience where I was in the local grocery store and uh, I saw one of my daughter's friends and her family and uh, I recognized the friend. So I was already feeling pretty good about myself mm-hmm. and I recognized her dad. That's good going. And so... I went up to her dad and, uh, you know, we're, we're just talking and swapping stories. And, uh, I mean, I feel like we talked for a half an hour, but it must've been five to 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and then, you know, walked away. And then later I was talking with my daughter and said, Hey, I saw your friend and, and, uh, you know, I was talking to her dad for quite a while. And she came back to me after talking to her friend and said, that wasn't her dad. That was her uncle. <laughs> <laughs> but you spotted one of them. That that was quite good. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, I mean I've 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 also been able to sometimes spot somebody and know that I know them and don't know who they are. So, you know, I've yeah, I've I've said to one of my kids, Oh, I saw one of your friends when I was out. Who was it? I have no idea. What did they look like? I don't know. You know, were they tall? Can't remember. Were they wearing glasses? No idea. You know, I I just cannot recall anything about someone. Yeah, it, th- this has come up a couple of times uh, on the podcast as well. Uh, real life situations where that might be required if there's been a crime committed. I would be hopeless. And you're the witness. I would be absolutely hopeless. Yeah. You know, so, you know, even people that I know reasonably well, if you'd said... What colors their hair? I would really struggle. I don't know. You know that 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 is something which just just doesn't seem to sit with me. I'm much more likely to to be able to recall their physical size because I can somehow relate that to me. So I'm I'm quite short, so I would know that somebody was tall or that somebody was much bigger built than I was. So I would notice things like that because that's my, you know, how I how I stand in relation to that person. But if you'd said, does that person wear glasses or, you know, has that man got a beard? No clue. Do you recognize the royal family? Yes, because they're in the news all the time. <laughs> okay. So I would recognize, you know, sort of really, you know, people who are in the news all the time. So I would recognize, you know, our prime minister, you know, I, I would be able to tell you who Barack Obama was. I could recognize the queen. Um, but, but if you gave me a list of three or four different actors, I'd struggle. So I, well, Boris makes it easy with the hair. He really does. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's, he's fairly Um. easily spottable. Well, let's end this, end this on a, uh, a hopeful note. So, um, I'm going to assume that you haven't met someone with prosopagnosia in practice, or you probably wouldn't be able to talk about it if you had. But um, again, I know that there are a lot of listeners out there that are just coming to this Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're starting to feel that relief realizing, wow, okay, it's not just me and it has a name that takes some pressure off, but you still have to get out and interact with the world and, you know, a lot of a lot of the people aren't as uh, adept at handling that as my aerospace engineer friend. Mm-hmm. Um, 
What would you say to someone who's just at this stage from like a therapy, a therapy point of view? I would seriously get somebody to think about talking about it to people because I think it could be one of those things that's a really big deal to, to the person who is experiencing it and perhaps is interesting, not a big deal at all to other people. So I would just say talk about it, as with most things. You know, that, that I know there are some there are some face blind sites on Facebook, for example, and there are all kinds of interesting conversations that go on there about whether people would feel very vulnerable telling people that they don't recognize faces. I can honestly say I've never felt vulnerable by doing that. I've felt much more confident by talking to people and just saying that this is something that, that I experience. So, you know, and, you know, I'm always the kind of, if you're really worried by this and if this is a really big deal, go find a therapist, you know, mm. yeah, go, go talk to somebody about this and, uh, you know, go go have a think about it with another person that then that might be a safe person to go explore this whole talking out loud to and saying it to them. Yeah, I think I, I think that's important. You know, I um I did meet a fella in uh, one of the Facebook groups who, you know, his response after, you know, his entire life has been to become a bit of a hermit, mm-hmm. you know. He, he he that's his words, right? Like he He's just chosen to deal with it by not interacting with anyone else. And actually, I'm not entirely sure that he's wrong at this point in his life. You know, he's found something that works for him. Mm -hmm. But maybe if he had had an interaction with a therapist earlier in life when he was much younger, he could have, uh, you know, lived a different life. He could have been more choiceful about how he dealt with people later on. That, you know, it may be that quite a lot of us are introvert and it may be quite a lot of us are not you know i know that one of the responses to it is to become really outgoing and speak to everyone and be very friendly you know that that can be a a really nice way of interacting with people too but you know to find a way through so that you can be around some people and that you at least have some trusted allies around you who who know and support you and don't actually care yeah, I mean, does, does your wife care that you can't recognize faces or is she just supportive about it? Oh, she's very supportive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am going to guess that, uh, you know, picking a therapist, if you've never had one before, is a lot about chemistry yeah. uh, just in general. Absolutely. So that's probably the most important thing. Uh, would you say that, uh, and I'm going to also guess that most therapists haven't heard of face blindness. So um, are you pretty confident that as long as you find any therapist that you click with just in a general sense that? I think finding, yeah, if, I mean, especially if you're going to find somebody that you're going to pay for. So in the UK, if you were going through the NHS, generally you wouldn't have a choice. You would be allocated somebody and you'd go talk to them. But I think one of the most important things about finding a therapist is you find somebody that you think, do you know, I can talk to this person. I could tell them something and they won't laugh and they won't find me silly and they will believe me. Um, and I and I feel that I could trust them with some very important information. So that is absolutely the most important thing. And that's that's regardless of what you're telling them. Ruth, I've really enjoyed the conversation and I hope uh, people sort of take this advice. 
if you're if you're struggling. I mean, especially now or in in, in uh, COVID times, it, it might be the perfect excuse. You probably need it anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good to talk to you. Thanks. That was cool. Fantastic. It was. Yeah, that was good. How many people have you spoken to? Um, on on the podcast, mm-hmm. I think we're maybe around fifteen or so. Okay. Um, and they're pretty deep dives like this. Um, others have been more just uh, you know, instant messages on Facebook back and forth. And um, another interesting thing that's come up is uh. As I, you know, I, I became open about it at work or fairly mm-hmm. open at work. It's interesting. I went through like a hype cycle with it where, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm going to fix this. I'm just going to tell everybody I meet that I'm face blind. <laughs> and, um, and I did that for a while, but then got exactly what you described, which is, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I'm bad with names and faces too. Right. A lot of people say that almost word yeah. for word. Right. And then, uh, and then, um, you know, I realized, I just thought, well, why am I telling everyone? You know, what what's the purpose here? Yeah. P- part of this is too, I mean, I, I can't really expect another human who has all of their own problems and worries to deal with to remember this thing about me. I can't expect them to remember and, and do something for me to make that better. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's impractical to expect that everyone's going to do that, right? And so... Yeah, I think you have to pick your moments. A bit like with my students, you know, where it was, you know, if you if you want me to remember who you are and really learn to interact with you, then it would really help me if you leave your sticker on, please. And then right. and they can see that that's a really useful thing to do. And that's during the, you know, it's a residential, it's three days. They can leave their sticker on for three days. Um, whereas, you know, in a normal interaction at work, you know, I will go into a meeting with somebody. I will have a conversation over Zoom where we have several of us on the screen. I don't tell everybody. I don't... I don't talk to everybody about it because it's not particularly necessary. And right. and if it becomes necessary, you know, when I've walked past somebody in the corridor and I haven't recognized them, um, then then I will apologize and then I'll say why that's likely to be. But but generally I, I wouldn't. Yeah. That was a juicy little tidbit. I may tack it on at the end if that's okay with you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and great. Hey, thank you again. For more info on this episode or prosopagnosia in general, visit faceblindpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.